Shana Tova. Knowing the past helps us understand the future. Thucydides wrote these words over 2,000 years ago, and they rang in my ears as I walked into work on my first day here. The future energizes me. I am eager for us to work together, to learn together, and to live together as we enter somewhat of a new era for Beth Hillel Bethel. I also know that we can only see ahead because we stand on the shoulders of giants. Now this community must know its Thucydides because on that first day, I was handed a packet with the history of the shul, words of wisdom from past presidents, and a meeting already on my calendar with Manny Weinstein. You've heard of him? Many of you know Manny, but for those of you who don't, he was president of this synagogue from 1967 to 69, and at 98 is the oldest member on our roster. I was honored to get to spend some time with him and hear about what it was like to build all of this. And in the case of the sanctuary, I mean that literally. Manny told me about the greenhouse that used to be where prayer services were held. He told me that we used to have Havdalah dances on Saturday nights, which incidentally we should bring back because they sounded like ragers. And as we spoke, I noticed how similar their concerns were to ours today. They wanted to grow a religious school. They were worried about traffic at the corner of Lancaster and Remington. They were worried about having enough space in the building. And with the hiring of Rabbi Maltzman in 61, they were worried that the new rabbi might not work out. I asked Manny, why he and his contemporaries wanted to start a new synagogue. I'm sure that there were options already available and that might have even been preferable to the difficulty and drain involved in starting something from scratch. Manny told me that they wanted to create a shul based on equality, where there were no donor plaques, no reserved seats in the sanctuary, and where religious school was available to anyone regardless of finances. It's heartening to know that this synagogue some 60 years later is living up to those ideals. Our school is bursting at the seams. You can still sit wherever you want. And while we don't do plaques, I'm sure our current president would want me to say that we're happy to find ways to honor you should you choose to make a donation. <laughs> As Manny and I wrapped up our talk, he told me all the things that the shul had did for him and meant to him. And I was struck by something that he repeated a few times. He said, Rabbi, what I owe this place you could never imagine. And I thought to myself about the thousands of people over the years who have been educated here, married and buried here, who have sat in this sanctuary, who sit right now in this building that he and his generation built for us. And I kept thinking, Manny, what we all owe you, you could never imagine. And it isn't only Manny. There have been many pillars of this synagogue who have sustained it over the years. I wish that I could thank them all by name because we owe them so much. 
We owe them not only for their work, their wealth, and their wisdom, but for their vision and willingness to give of themselves to make something wonderful for others. I am sure that mistakes were made and decisions that we may disagree with, but that does not change the fact that we can only see what we see because we stand on their shoulders. A medieval rabbi, Yitzchak Detrani, was one of the first to ever use the phrase standing on the shoulders of giants, and he did so to defend his right to disagree with generations past. He wrote that we sit astride the shoulders of giants so that we can master their wisdom and move beyond it. We owe those who came before us to understand them and to honor them. But as Detrani and Thucydides remind us, the point of understanding the past is so that we can better plan for the future. And we need to plan for the future because as surely as we have relied on the work of previous generations, future ones are counting on us. We also need to think long-term because thinking about the future can improve our actions in the present. In his book, Long Path, Ari Wallach argues that we will be more compassionate, present, and empathetic if we broaden our mindset so that we consider where we fit in the arc of history. As we live our daily lives, we should think hundreds of years in the past and future at the same time because, he writes, if we broaden our thinking, we would see that so much of how we live our lives is focused on short-term gain and avoiding short-term pain. It's visceral. It's in our DNA. It's how we've survived. Short-term thinking is necessary at times, but can do more harm than good. Wallach asks us to envision a beautiful future and then exhorts us to be the great ancestors that that future needs. Thinking long-term is always difficult, but never more so than now. The pandemic shrank the scope of what we could care about. Valid worries forced us to focus only on the short term. How can I stay safe and keep my family healthy? Can I work? Can I maybe help the people around me? These concerns were all consuming, and in the constantly shifting public health landscape, it was hard to plan more than maybe a week in advance. It stands to reason, then, that as we please God come out of this pandemic, our thinking remains short term, and we may all need help shifting our focus away from the immediate. And we need to create a long-term vision for the future that will inspire us, bring us together, and help us navigate the uncertain waters ahead. Now, Jews have known the power of long-term thinking for millennia. We spent thousands of years anticipating better days ahead. We wandered the desert on our way to a land of milk and honey. We kept hope alive for centuries of diaspora and oppression wherever we found ourselves. We Jews tried to make sure that our children lived better lives than our own. Our religion thinks in terms of generations and comforts us with the strength and survival of our ancestors. It also gives us hope in the conviction that next year will be better than the last. Much of that time consciousness is encapsulated today. Rosh Hashanah is a day that breaks us from the tyranny of the immediate. Today we think in years, the one past and the one to come. We think in seven-year cycles. Today we complete a Shemitah year and start counting seven years ahead to the next one. We are asked to think in terms of all of creation, the widest angle lens possible, as we turn our calendar from 5,782 
to 5,783. We also read in the Torah on both days about the original long-term thinker, Abraham, the great ancestor who can perhaps teach us to be great ourselves. Now we know Abraham is destined to greatness. He is the progenitor of not one, not two, but three world religions. But when we first meet him, we know little about him other than his lineage and that his name means father of nations. There's nothing to, st to distinguish him as the man of destiny we know he will be, but God shows up out of the blue and says, Lech Lecha, go forth to a land I'll show you and I will make you and your descendants numerous and great. From the outset, we know that this vision is long-term, but the questions the rabbis ask is why did God choose Abraham to call out to? What made him worthy to be the ancestor of nations? Some rabbis suggest he had intuition where none else did. The rabbis tell a story that Abraham and his father had a small idol shop. They sold idols. And one day, when his father went out to lunch, Abraham took a bat and smashed every idol in the shop, save the largest one, and then took the bat and put it in the big one's hands. And when his father came home, he said, Abe, what on earth happened? And Avraham said, you'll never believe it. That big guy got up, smashed all the other idols, and then sat back down. And Terach says, Avraham, these things aren't real. And Abe goes, aha. And the rabbis tell this story because they want to think that Abraham intuited that there was a problem with idolatry. He intuited that there was only one God. Even before God ever showed up, Avraham's intuition was that great. Or it might have been not Avraham's intuition, but rather his courage that makes him remarkable. God shows up out of nowhere and says, go, and he just does it? Now, the rabbis tell us it did take a little motivation. God says to go from your land, your house, and your, and your birthplace. And the classic commentaries there suggest that God specified three different places to leave from because Avraham, reluctant to go, was dragging his feet. I get it. Acting on long-term plans can be daunting. But in the end, Abraham upended his life for the dream. To have a vision for the future is admirable, but to have the courage to start down the path towards making that future real, that might be the thing that makes Abraham extraordinary. And again, being able to take difficult steps towards a goal is a challenge, but so too is staying the course years down the road. Here we see the third thing that Avraham can teach us about being a great ancestor. He continued to care about the future far after his Lech Lecha moment. When he helps some kings win a war, he refuses any reward because he doesn't want them to be able to say they made him wealthy. When he's offered a burial plot as a gift, he insists on paying for it because he doesn't want his descendants' ownership to be questioned. In these moments, he considers future generations and acts in their best interest. Now, he doesn't always get it right. 
In the Torah that we read today, he makes some spectacular mistakes in his treatment of Ishmael and Hagar. Tomorrow, we'll read about how he mistreats Yitzchak and Sarah. But even in his mistakes, he has the future in mind and is trying to do what is best for the long path. For Abraham, big life decisions as well as small are all balanced with the weight of future needs. Imagine the world we could leave our children's children if we were able, like Avraham, to delay our gratification, to turn down wealth in this moment for the sake of others' well-being tomorrow. Now, Abraham was a great ancestor, and his story, mistakes, and all resonate through the ages. What made him great could have been his intuition. It could have been his bravery, upending his life for the sake of the vision, or perhaps it was his focus, keeping his eye on the ball and acting not for his benefit, but for the benefit of future generations. Any of these would make someone great, and all three are needed from us. We must each of us work to be like Avraham with whatever gifts we have. Do we have a spark of intuition or inspiration? Avraham in this is like Galileo, Alice Paul, or Steve Jobs. He has a truth burning inside of him that no one else knows, and he has to do whatever he can to bring it to the world, perhaps. Perhaps the lesson we learn from him is that we need to find the kernel of inspiration and intuition inside of us. Think about what the world of the future will need. What will Jews need generations from now? If I had to guess, I'd say that we will need to tackle issues of inclusion and access. As humans live longer and patterns of life change, we might need new life cycle events. I'm not making a pronouncement today, but I have said for years that we need a second B'nai Mitzvah for people in their mid-20s. Anyone want to try it? <laughs> we will definitely have to grapple with technology and its changes to the way that we worship, work, and live our lives. There are a myriad of potential needs for the Jewish community in the future. Chief among them is the need for ancestors with the intuition and ideation to set them on the right path. But intuition without courage won't do much. Adapting, leaving old ways can be scary. If Abraham, who had God shouting at him, had a hard time doing it, then what hope do we have? Perhaps helping us overcome our inertia is what today is all about. It's our job at Rosh Hashanah to vision a future based on our values and plan how we can lech lecha, leave the past behind to make that future real. In my life, I have tried this in large and small ways. The future that I want to live in is sustainable and kind to living things. So last year on Rosh Hashanah, I decreed that I would be a vegetarian. On a larger scale, it was also last year around Rosh Hashanah that my wife and I, envisioning an ideal place to raise our family, realized that it was time to lech, to go. And so we left jobs that we loved and moved, both changes small and large were steps in the right direction towards a future, a vision of a better one. Just as we as individuals need to take moments of reflection and act on them, so too, of course, will our community. We should have a vision of where we want to go in the years to come and a plan on how we will get there. So to that end, this winter, Temple Beth Hillel Beth El will begin a strategic planning process to ascertain how we can, like our founders, create a place of community, of spirituality, and a vibrant Jewish life that will outlast us all. In addition to a broad strategic plan, we'll begin two smaller ones. 
We're going to develop over the winter an environmental action plan in the months ahead so that we can do our part to secure a verdant planet for our future. This year, we will also create a task force to review and vision what prayer services are offered and what prayer services should look like here at the synagogue. We are blessed with a truly world-class chazan and amazingly gifted lay leaders. How can we all work together to make this house of worship one that is built on tradition, relevant for today and inclusive of everyone? If these ideas excite you, if anyone would like to be a part of these projects, or if you want to join a reading group on Wallach's book with me, please reach out to me, to Ken, to Barb in the weeks ahead. Like Avraham, we will need to maintain our focus on the future as we move through the process of planning and acting. We may also, like Avraham, make some mistakes and need to correct. Much about this shul should never change. Don't worry, Manny, this time next year there will still be no reserved seats, few donor plaques, and anyone who wants a Jewish education will be able to find one. But there may be ways and things that we realize that we must, like Abraham, leave behind. In working towards the future we envision, we might need to observe differently, join differently, act differently, or think differently than we have in the past. These processes are just beginning, and we do not know where they'll go. But what we do know is that we owe it to the three generations that built and maintained the synagogue to do the same for the generations that will follow. Now, it's possible that they had something we don't. People like Abraham or Manny Weinstein, other greats on whose shoulders we stand, maybe they had an intuition, a bravery, or a focus that the rest of us can't equal. But I don't think so. I think that there are people in this room with brilliant ideas that we all need to hear. I think that there are people who are brave enough to make big life changes in an attempt to make dreams for the future come true. I think that we have the focus to keep the course, to adapt the way we live for the sake of our descendants. I know this because even in the two months that I've been here, I have seen how truly special this community is. The Hasidic rabbi known as the Sfat Emet writes that actually Abraham had none of these things. He had no special qualities. There was nothing that made him stand out so that God shouted lech lecha and called to him. Because, writes the Sfat Emet, God is calling to every human being at all times, saying lech lecha, go to a promised land, to a beautiful future that I will show you and I will make you and your descendants great. Avram was not remarkable because God called to him. He was remarkable because he heard it. And when he heard it, he acted. We are each of us being called to. We are being called to have vision, called to be brave, called to focus on what is important. We are constantly called by the future that awaits us all, by the generations ahead that need us to be great ancestors, passing down a world better than the one that we found. Today, as every day, the future is calling to us. The question on this Rosh Hashanah is, will we listen? Shana Tovah.